now I have all this time to just sit and think. Then all the health anxiety symptoms started firing like that. And that's when I was like, there's no way this is anxiety. I'm, I'm either dying or losing my mind. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Low Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today I'm joined by mental health advocate, content creator, self-development enthusiast. Overall, just an amazing guy. I'm joined by Jesse Catches. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's fine. So, you know, I didn't know if it was going to be Caches, <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm Italian. So, you know, last names, they can get they can get a little frisky sometimes. I like the flair you add to it, though. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse Caches. Yeah, like that, that's that's an actor's name right there. You're in the wrong. Yeah, that might be the new pronunciation from here on out. We're making headlines. But how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the kind words in the uh, in the intro there. We kind of have pretty similar type of backgrounds here. So you grew up making short movies with your brothers. I did. Yeah, yeah. What kind of stuff did you guys used to film? Because oh I'm interested. My, my brothers and I used to do the same shit. <laughs> Any corny movie that we saw, my dad he was a he was a UPS driver, and he delivered to a video store. When he would deliver to this video store, the guy would get boxes of VHSs and then he would have these extra movies and he would give them to my dad. And my dad would bring home these movies. We would get <laughs> anything from like Cube, if you've ever seen Cube, like this no old cube. cheesy kind of horror thriller, yes. things like that. And then some really good ones too, like The Matrix. So then we would Classic. basically take this VHS camera we have We'd go re watch the movie and then remake them and add our own flair to them. <laughs> we did the same thing. Did you ever do a Blair Witch movie? We did some like it, but we didn't do we did Blair, a Blair Witch. Witch. Yeah, we did a Blair Witch. We called it the Flair Witch, but the witch was uh, based off of it was the ghost of Ric Flair, the wrestler. Oh my gosh, that's perfect. Yeah, so we did the Flair Witch project. I don't know if it was like this for you guys, but honestly, now that I kind of think back, because what, uh, what's like kind of the age difference you have with your brothers? So there's three of us making movies. We are all kind of like four years apart. Okay. Yeah. So my brothers are older. I have two older brothers. But when we were making these silly videos, that's kind of like where we had the most like camaraderie. Mm -hmm. Because you know how it is. It's uh, my brother was like 16 and I was like six. So, mm. you know, what, I, like, what are we going to talk about? You know, it's relatively just babysitting me. My brother was two and a half years older than me. So, you know, when you're a kid, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old is kind of a, like a big jump in terms of like what we're doing. But yeah. if it's time to whip that camera out and make fucking an amazing piece of film, <laughs> age didn't matter. We all had parts that we had to play. I don't know if it was like that for you and your brothers, but yeah. that's just like yeah. we really came together when we were all kind of all over the place. Absolutely. Yeah. My oldest brother, he and I are 16 years apart, I believe. He oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. My oldest brother and me. And he would get involved in the movies too. He wasn't like 
in the regular cast, but but he would pop in and and you know join us every now and then. And it was the same thing. We had bond over these these silly movies we would make, and we had such a great time doing it. And other than that, like we hung out every now and then. But when we came together and and created something and made something that was fun nice. and and we could make fun of, that was really when we bonded a lot. If I really do look back on it, those are some of the best times I've ever had with my brother. So I guess we like kind of peaked early, but like you know, or we just you know we set ourselves up for failure because we had so much fun when we were younger. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It, yeah, was, definitely. It, was, it was one of those things. Did you have a favorite movie that you guys shot? And do you still have access to any of these films? Yeah. Yeah, we do. See, that's smart, man. We, <laughs> lost, we lost all of them. Oh, man, that's that's tough. We lost a good portion of them because they were on VHS and then yeah. things got moved. We lost some of the tapes, but some of the tapes got digitized recently. So we have them on computer as as files. But there's one in particular that we made called... Uh, Captain Delta and the Star Brigade. Damn, man, you guys had <laughs> yeah. awesome titles. Our shit was so stupid. So how old are you? I just turned 34. All right, so we're the same age. Yeah, mm. so I just turned 34 January 30th. Okay, January 13th. Okay, all right. Now that we're both 34, Ronald Reagan was the president when we were born, by the way. Hmm. Good fact. Yeah, good fact. Just so, <laughs> just so you know. Just so you know, you know you're getting up there. Ronald Reagan was in office. <laughs> How much of yourself do you put into your content creation? Because like when we're people and we work in the mental health space, you know what I mean? And also like self-development and trying to get people to certain places. I think sometimes we sometimes and I'm speaking just mostly for me, we kind of lose track of like, oh, like I struggle with shit, too, but I'm putting out so much content to like help other people. So like how much of yourself is in your content? Because when it comes to content creation, I love that mental health is being so focused on right now. But, you know, it's like there's people without diagnosis running around doing a whole bunch. You know, you know what I mean? It, it's becoming almost cool to, like, have uh, mental health issues. Right. Right. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the cool kid at school type of thing now. Yeah. It's like you start to hear all these things. And especially with anxiety, you get so much in your head and, and you start to think like, I read something about a heart attack and now I'm thinking every little pain is a heart attack and and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, not in the sense that you're going to give yourself a heart attack, but that you start to create that within yourself. So when you see all these things online, like you're saying, and it's kind of like what's in the topic of conversation, what's in pop culture right now, then it becomes the idea that you are experiencing what you're reading and it's it's becoming a part of you, whether you really suffer from it or not. I'm not here to right. you know, tell anyone that they don't, but it does become this idea of whatever you're close to, whatever you're looking for, you may kind of start to feel it and find it in your own life. But to answer your question, how much of myself is is in my content? I would say most of my content, probably 95% of it, 90, maybe even 98% of it is based on my own experience and things I've been through. But it's kind of an amalgamation of who I am now, past experiences, and then kind of a dramatization of, of the entire experience. So it's kind of like a caricature of who I am and in my own life. If I'm on Instagram and I stumble upon Jesse's page, what do you think sets you apart from the other people that are you know, in the content creation? Because it's kind of weird that like 
we are all competing to try and help people, which is like a beautiful thing, but it's like, <laughs> we want to reach more people. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. weird. like we have this competitive energy. It's like, I want to yeah. make this type of content that's like better and like helps more people. It's, it becomes the a part of like that hamster wheel of content creation. Social yeah. I think based on what people have told me, why they connect with it is they feel like I am entering into the conversation that's already in their head and doing it from a place of a friend who's been through it rather than authority who's telling them exactly what they're doing and what they need to do to get better. And I always tell people on the show, like, I am nowhere near a mental health professional, barely graduated high school, went to college for about a semester and a half. I'm still technically a a sophomore. I have a couple of years of eligibility left. So like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, listen, this is just for people to have a safe space and come and have a conversation. And like you said about the conversation at kind of like what age did you start to feel in terms of anxiousness? Because you have health anxiety, right? Yeah, Yeah, I have experienced a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's an oxometer around here somewhere. Yeah. When you were a kid. Were you kind of like a hypochondriac in a sense, or was this something that you developed kind of later on in life? Yeah. In terms of health anxiety, I would say it came a bit later in life. I had a lot of anxious tendencies as a child. I wouldn't say they veered towards health anxiety. Yeah. And then a lot of OCD tendencies as a child. So a lot of cleanliness. I would flip out if anyone came near my bed. I would have to take a shower, change into clean clothes, walk to the bed, change out of those clothes and get into different clothes to get into bed. I would have to like lock doors multiple times. So a lot of things growing up as a child were more OCD tendencies and to kind of gain like a sense of control because sometimes my my household was a little chaotic with a lot of siblings. So So I'd say that's it mostly stemmed from just like general anxiety and and I'd say OCD tendencies as a kid. And then the health anxiety came came later in life after a period of life where I went through kind of a rough patch with a relationship and then I actually lost one of my brothers. He passed away. And then from there, I started experiencing severe health anxiety, probably around 24 or so. Losing your brother, I, I can't even imagine. I'm so close to my brothers. I just commend you for just like being able to be a functional human being. A lot of people don't understand what that's like, especially at a young age. It's something that I, I can't even fathom. I do a podcast with my brother. We're like this. Before your your brother passed, what was your relationship like with him? It was strong. He and I had a strange bond where he would tell me a lot of stuff, sometimes too much at times. And I'm like, <laughs> like, whoa, like, are you sure I should be the one to hear this? Like, you, you don't want to tell anybody else. And and so we had this like strange connection where he was kind of a black sheep of the family in a sense. He was a little rebellious and he would always kind of come to me with this information and and like talk to me with the inside scoop. And, and so we really connected over, over just having this special re- relationship but overall, we are really close. I'm the youngest, actually, and then another brother, and then him. Mm-hmm. And then we have three more older siblings. So we are the three youngest. He was one of the ones we'd make movies with often. For you and what you do now, how much of it has to deal with losing somebody that close to you? 
because obviously that's a huge rough patch, right? I can't even imagine it. And then you're going through all of this and then you start to have these feelings of my hands are tingling. There's a pain in the left side of my chest. Like, you know, uh, my toes yeah. feel weird. The wind <laughs> is touching like my, I feel like there's a layer of extra skin on me. It's weird how trauma can actually trigger a lot of these things that you've never felt before. Yeah, absolutely. I think every, in a sense, everybody has trauma for sure, deep rooted or, or surface level in some way, whether it's like significant and obvious or something that's just kind of like subdued and floating in the background, probably since childhood. And I mean, even with the OCD tendencies as a child and anxiety as a child, there's obviously something there. There's obviously something unaddressed, right? And I think what happens when you have a big life event like losing someone, losing a brother, what you've been really good at hiding in the past, you're no longer able to hide it so obviously or so efficiently, right? Yeah. So then it's like what you're saying, you know, it's all of a sudden these feelings that you've you've hidden for so long or ran from for so long, the trauma down there comes to the surface and then it starts to manifest, I believe, it, itself in in burning sensations on the skin, muscle twitches, dizzy spells, whatever, whatever it is. And so yeah, it happened for me after he passed away. I was uh I found myself kind of trying to live life on my own terms at that point. I started partying to try to like block out the pain and and doing staying busy, staying really active. And for a while I think it worked in a sense. I mean, I I, I wouldn't say I didn't deal with it. I, I wasn't one to just like brush past it and be fine. I I definitely processed it as much as I could at the time. You want you wanted to prove something to yourself, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think his passing made me realize that I wasn't living the life that I wanted. I wasn't living to my fullest. Right. And so I started to kind of live more for myself in a sense. But then I started working an office job that slowed everything down where I was commuting. I was in LA. I don't know if you're familiar, the 405. I was oh, living yeah, in man. Santa Monica and working oh. in Orange County. So Brutal. I was commuting like two to four hours every day, working at an office job, looking at spreadsheets. So life just drastically slowed down. And as soon as it did that, and I realized I'm not going after what I want, I'm not living the life that I want, that I that I thought I was going after. And now I have all this time to just sit and think. Then all the health anxiety symptoms started firing like that. And that's when I was like, there's no way this is anxiety. I'm I'm either dying or losing my mind, but there's no chance this is anxiety because of all the strange symptoms. But it's the worst, man. I mean, I still have it from time to time. I tell people this all the time. They're like, oh man, like how you doing? Like, how do you how do you like get better? I'm like, guys, I'm not bad. Like, I'm better, but like there are times where I'll sit on the couch and like I'll feel a like a heart palp, and I'm like, all right, we're going to the doctor. You know, <laughs> we're going like this is it. You know, I'm, I'm taking EKGs like at three o'clock in the morning on my phone. You know what I mean? I still haven't gotten to that point where you know I feel like I'm out of the woods forever. I like to let people know like it's a lifelong thing like that you're just gonna have to deal with. But I never had a panic attack. I don't know if you have panic attacks as well. But my first one was I was playing NBA 2K with my friend Max and uh, we were doing cocaine 
I was chilling, partying, having a great time. And then I stood up and said, oh, my God, my heart's going to explode. So I felt that my heart was like going crazy. And now I'm looking, I'm like, oh, it has to be like this. Like, this is what's going on. I went to the doctor. I went to the hospital, was convinced I was going to die. Told my friend to go clean my apartment because I was like, if I die, I don't want my family to like find out that I'm like using coke and shit. So I was just like, yeah, I was like, I pulled them. I was like, yeah, just go to my apartment and clean it. You know what I mean? And like, and like pushed them out of the ER. And I was just like, all right. And then they did an EKG and I was fine. And they were like, dude, you're not having a heart attack. And I was like, I don't know. This is a heart attack for real. Like, this is what's happening. I'm hyperventilating. I almost lost consciousness because I was like, this is really bad. I'm breathing like this. They gave me liquid Ativan. And in 10 minutes, I was walking around the hospital, like asking if they needed help with anything. Like, <laughs> that's, that's how crazy it was, you know? But yeah, there was something that was going on in my life and alcohol and cocaine use were not helping at all. So, you know, that's kind of where everything kind of came to the surface it pushed me into the realm of being like, oh man, like I have severe panic attacks now. So in long story short, kids don't do drugs. <laughs> this is the, this whole episode is just a long PSA. The, yeah, that's, it, that's the pinnacle. That's what we got for Yeah. It. This is just a long dare. <laughs> that's what it is. If you're going to do drugs, you know, test your drugs, make sure they're not crazy drugs and just take care of yourself. You know, I can't tell you what to do, but be safe. That's all. That's all I have to do. How many times have you gone to the ER, my friend? I've called the paramedics, but I haven't been taken to the ER. To oh, be oh, oh, wow. Oh, all yeah. right. So you're still doing okay. I had a very similar experience not doing Coke at the time. I was eating oh, a pizza. Man, I was just eating a pizza and watching some corny movie. I forget the name of it. The Intern, I think. It's like Robert De Niro, Anne Hathaway. And I was just cleaning up my apartment, eating a pizza, had a movie on in the background. And I had had multiple smaller panic attacks before this at the time. But this was the worst part. And it got me to that point where I was like, something needs to change right now. Because I was just eating a pizza and all of a sudden I started to feel my heart. And I'm like, that's interesting. I feel a little bit normal than usual. And I was like, all right, just, just settle down. I didn't know how to handle it. I, I was just right. like, okay, let's just settled down, tried to breathe. It escalated very quickly to the point where I was like, I don't, I think this is it. I, I didn't have yeah. anyone to to clean up my apartment or anything, but I, but I, I was like, this is it. I'm, I think I'm about to go. And, and I was texting my girlfriend. I was like, something's seriously <laughs> wrong with me. She's like, call 911. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like there's something about like a false alarm. I didn't want to call 911 and be the guy that's like totally fine. And yeah. so for me to call 911, it was very extreme. And so I ended up doing it. They talked to me on the phone. Right when the paramedics got there, I was completely fine. Yeah, I just saw them walk in the door and I'm like, I'm good. Like, this is fine. And they they checked me there. They made sure. But in that moment, I was like, something in my life needs to change right now because I cannot go on living this way. So that was a, a big catalyst for me to to start making a change. Yeah, I wish it happened to me with a slice of pizza. That would have been way easier. <laughs> Although now when I think about that pizza, I'm like, oh, that's the pizza that I had a, a severe panic attack with. It's almost uh... that trigger. So like having it with Coke versus having it with pizza, I think I'd choose the yeah, Coke to have listen, it. Yeah, because like I said, you know, they say cocaine's very addicting, but I, I, I quit Coke easier than I could eat quit pizza i just can't yeah exactly so like everyone in your family was like kind of jacked right 
in terms of fitness yeah like you got you, <laughs> you guys are like just like a jack family <laughs> what a great question <laughs> that's why the pizza triggered you because you want to get your family diet yeah yeah i think i think so we have a fit family for sure like what did your parents do were they like uh like cross country runners were they like skiers where does it start where's the ethos yeah. of, of the catches fitness yeah. So my mom is self-proclaimed the least athletic person in the world. I think she's pretty athletic. She just is active. She doesn't do any sports. She never really did, but she hikes all the time. She runs all the time, things like that. But my dad, he played baseball and he got asked to try out for the, the I think it was the Giants, the San Francisco Giants. They invited him to come train and, and try out for the team. So he was a, a really good baseball player. Okay. But he never ended up going. He he decided he didn't want to play professional baseball. He wanted to be home and raise his kids. And, and yeah. he's like, I'm going to have like job. 11 kids and, and I'm yeah. let them know that I could have played for the Giants if I wanted to. Yeah, exactly. I gave that up for you. <laughs> yeah, now he holds it over us. And that fueled us all to be very athletic. So yeah. So out of your siblings, who's who's the alpha? Who's the who's the alpha athlete? I hate to say it, but I, I think I'm the most athletic. I'm very adamant. I, I rarely miss a day of, of movement. What's your workout reg like now? I do a lot of Peloton these days. I actually just got a Peloton and I I am addicted to it. Like yeah, Peloton's I'm, pretty sweet. Peloton's yeah. pretty sweet. Do you run marathons? I'm committed to running the marathon this year. Look at the you, New York bro. marathon. Yeah, I you, haven't bro. done it before, but I'm committed to it. What is it? You got November, right? Yeah, you yeah. Got time. You I got, got some time. time. You got time. You got time. What's the like? So what's like? Do you work out in the morning, afternoon, night? What's your what's your style? What's your state? mostly the morning? Yeah, I I love a good morning workout. Morning workout followed by a cold shower, and that's that sets me up to have energy for a while throughout the day. You're just a physical guy, though. Yeah, you want to do physical therapy, right? I did in the past. You want to yeah. be a physical therapist, and then you studied uh, kinesiologist. <laughs> kinesiology yeah yeah that one it's kinesiology. Yeah. got a bachelor's right. degree in kinesiology yeah, so what yeah. what is that it's the art and science of human movement oh geez i knew yeah. it so now when you start to study that right was it something that just from being a fit family pushed you kind of into that was it something that you actually really wanted to do or are you just like everyone around me is fucking jacked and like everyone's body fat's like 2.8, like Rocky <laughs> and Rocky 3. Was it just something that actually that you were super interested in? Or was it something that you felt like this is all I know kind of? Yeah, a bit of both. I actually wanted to go to school for film to start. Uh, and so you never give up on the brigade, brother. I know. I, did, I, I didn't want on the to. Brigade. I know. I wanted to go for to school for film. There was a girl that I was trying to date at the time, and her father was very focused on me presenting a way of how I was going to provide for her before I even could date her. Oh yeah, and you, had those, you had one of those too, huh? Yeah, and so he uh, he asked me how I was going to provide for her, and I said I wanted to go to school for film. I wanted to edit and make movies. And so he came back with a packet of papers like that thick. And he was, it was a very religious family. He came back from with a package, a packet this thick of evidence on how people who get into the film industry have to start by editing porn. And so he was like, so you're going to 
provide for my daughter by editing porn. Basically, that was like the conclusion. I'm like, well, shit, I can't like, oh, I gotta, I, 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 yeah. yeah, right, right. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, at the time I was young, I was impressionable. And I was like, wow, well, I really want to be with this girl. Like maybe film's not the way. So I started like backtracking and, and going to different areas of, that I was interested in. And I was always definitely interested in sports and in athletics. And, and I did want to be a physical therapist for a while, but I, my other passion that I wanted to do for the longest time was playing the NBA. I, I love basketball. I, I've played basketball my whole life and the cards just didn't go in my favor. Maybe I didn't believe enough. I'm five, nine as well as a year five, nine. Yeah. I'm five, nine. Yeah. Same, same. So that I was, was five, that seven was... in eighth grade though. Oh, so you were, you were on a good trajectory. Yeah. I said, you know what? Look at this. Probably end up being my dad's six, three. So I was oh. like, right. I said, all right, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be good. I'll be good. Yeah. Growing. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm, uh... I'm growing this way and started growing this way. That's just what I... <laughs> I'm yeah, that's everywhere to be honest with you. But not <laughs> yeah. but like uh so you you want to do all this stuff, body movement and physical therapy, and you got this dad that's weird giving yeah. you, you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's everything's kind of weird. Yeah. Why did you kind of just say, you know what, I'm not gonna do any of this shit? Because we all have moments in our life where we're like, Yeah, fuck this. I'm not yeah. doing this. You yeah. know, like I remember uh I wanted to be a gym teacher. And I remember I was in my like anatomy 101 class and I was like, this is way too much like science. How am I supposed to going to know? I, oh, I just want to show kids I play kickball. Right. You know what I mean, like, let's get yeah. the standardized test. You know what I mean? Whoever's the president, you know, let's do the sit and reach. Get these kids, <laughs> get them in and get them the fuck out of here. That's all I want to do. Right. I yeah. I have to know what a femur is. Like, I don't know what any of this shit is. <laughs> reading it. You know, but for me, it was just too scientific. Funny you say it was too scientific because I, I felt the same way after graduating. I, I did get a degree in kinesiology and I considered doing more schooling. And the job that I could get right out of college after getting a degree in kinesiology was personal training. I So I just started being a personal trainer. And as I was doing it, I was like, this is way too, like what I'm doing, it, it's fun. I get to communicate with people. I get to coach people along, but everything I'm doing is so scientific based that I need some creativity. Like I need, I need to infuse something because it, like we were talking about earlier, it's this background of creating films and and running around with your brothers and just having a great time and, and just kind of being dumb and creating things. Right. Best. And there, yeah, it's so much fun. And, and so all of that kind of left me at that point uh... and I just wasn't doing any of it. And I was like, I, I need to change something. So to answer your question, I've had multiple points in my life where those moments happened. And that was one of them. But I would say they continue to progress further and further along with each moment that I have it. And so more recently, it's like, well, I don't want a normal job. Let's just create, let's make videos on my own. Let's get really wild and not have a boss. Let's create content. So it's, there's a progression but it started with when I was personal training, I was like, this is too scientific. I need more creativity in my life. Yeah, man. You know, the world's got enough nerds. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, they're shining. It's their time. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So I'm going to let you guys shine. And I'm going to go over here and, and be an idiot for a living. <laughs> I get to travel around America doing stand up. I get to do podcasts and I had to do all this stuff. But I had to have like every kind of like shitty job to like 
kind of do that and not saying that they were shitty they were just like shitty for me and my mental health and the way that i felt about things you know what i mean yeah what was your first job my first job ever was i was 13 years old no i was 12 years old and i stocked um i stocked snapples into a snapple machine (laughs) yeah i i worked at a deli and then right after that i moved so I, i lost that job and i became like a camp counselor like how every 13 year old does you become a, a counselor in training so you're basically just going to camp they don't pay you you just work you're just a slave so they just make you watch watch these children and um for about most of my summers i played three sports so i mostly just worked in the summer and did like sports camps and stuff and then once you get out of high school though like you know i'm 20 and i'm still working at a camp you know what i mean like I'm teaching kids how to swim. Like, it's really fun. Like, it's really rewarding work. But, like, everyone comes back from the summer and they're like, yeah, like, oh, I got to go back to school this. I'm like, I'm going back to my mom's house. (laughs) You know, like, this is it for me. This is the only time of the year I work. Right. So then I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I got to, like, actually start getting full-time jobs. So I'm delivering pizza. I'm doing really everything, man. I'm working at after-school programs. I worked at a group home for troubled kids. I did everything, man. I worked so many like wild jobs. And the thing that set it off for me was, you remember the Vine app? Yeah. So my brother and I, we were big on there Mm. and uh, we started making vines and doing vines together and doing this whole thing. And I was like, I got my first ad deal ever. And it was from Budweiser. And they were like, hey, we're doing this campaign for the Super Bowl about like this puppy that like runs all the way home. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And they were like, all right, we're going to pay you five grand. So then I was like, wait a second. (laughs) I used to have to work three summers to make five grand. (laughs) You're saying I had to come in the city with this puppy and get $5,000? And they were like, yeah, man, just come through. Like, we want you to post it on your social. So from that moment, I was just like, yeah, this is what I got to do, man. Because this is yeah. the only thing that I've loved to do ever really in my life. Never loved school. I loved sports, but I didn't love them enough to apply myself. You know, I got I got recruited to play college football. Didn't want to do it because I like drinking beers and smoking cigarettes and hanging out with chicks. You know what I mean? I'm just growing out hard. Yeah. So I ruined that. But my thing was, is people always thought like, dude, you're funny. Like, why don't you do that? And I just never had the the belief in myself that people would want to think I was funny. And then the, you know, the Vine app came along and then you see people that are actually having a reaction to what you think is funny. So I know you feel this too, when you're creating content, right? And it's like, it starts with an idea, then you need a piece of equipment, then you work on the, you know, how you're going to present this content and then you just put it out in the world and watching people like resonate and leave comments and stuff that that was addicting in that in that time of my life i was like i gotta go like let's do it let's do it let's do it yeah and then i just realized that i have a real big problem with authority always have and i said you know what i want to try and be my own boss and i've been able to do it for like 10 years now so i'm gonna ride it till the wheels fall off at this point yeah that's amazing when i was looking at your instagram page right you have a lot of amazing, great tips and anecdotes. And the thing I like the most about your content, straight to the point. I don't have to wait 45 seconds to get into like the gist of the video, which is the problem a lot of content creators right. have. Now. Just get to the fucking point. Some people can understand what you want to say. You know right. what I mean? That's why you see a lot of people now, the bigger ones are, you know, 
there's a science behind it, thumbnails and algorithms and nerd shit, nerd shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but for you, for you though, where did you kind of pick up on all of these like quips and these tips and tricks? And, you know, was this something that you did, um, you know, this personal, obviously, uh, personal education, solo stuff? Did you do seminars, classes? Is this stuff that you just like kind of picked up along the way? And have you integrated anything of your own into your kind of uh, coping mechanisms? No, honestly, literally everything you just said. Yes. Seminars, books. I read books, audiobooks nonstop. Literally when I'm running, when I'm working out, when I'm at home doing dishes, there's an audiobook or an informational podcast, educational podcast in my ear. There's, yeah, like I said, seminars, there's courses. I, I do it all and I implement it all in, into what I do. But again, it's like some things that you hear that you're not going to really resonate with. And so I have to pick and choose what fits my content and what doesn't and what I what really aligns with what I believe. And yeah, from that point, then you kind of when you've read so many books or listened to so much content that's kind of all hammering the same point in different ways, then you can kind of start to see how it sits with you, how it resonates with you and apply it to your life. And once you apply it to your life, then you're like, oh, well, that straight up from the way they put it, it didn't really work for me. But if I change it this way, if I do something a little different, that sits with me, that resonates with me. And then I can go forward and and share that with other people. So a lot of it is, again, books, courses, seminars, brought in through my filter, applied to my life, and then kind of regurgitated in, in my own words or or through my own experience. So what what's your therapy like nowadays? Are you in-person therapy? Are you a physical guy? Are you a, a spiritual self? Where are you at in your journey right now? In terms of seeing a therapist? Yeah, yeah. I'm cheating on mine right now, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so? yeah. So I love my therapist. I've been with my therapist for like almost five years, I think now, if I'm doing the math correctly. But I don't know. It's like we kind of like kind of like, you know, we hit our peak. You know what I mean? Mm, like, yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to go to that next level. You know what I mean? So, yeah. You know, it's I don't know if I if I keep them and just get like a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a licensed social worker or something like that. And maybe like, you know, so I'm kind of cheating on them right now. So I kind of feel bad. You know, it's weird because we built this bond for like five years, but I feel we've we've grown apart in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the communication isn't as it's more of check ins now. Hmm. You know, yeah. it, it's like. I miss the days when we were like, we would break bread in here. You know what I mean? Yeah. The walls, dude. Like, you know what I mean? Now we're just checking in on each other and like insurance is paying for it. That's great. But, you know, I'm just trying to find myself again in like kind of like the therapy, uh, in the therapy machine. You know, sometimes you got to yeah. hear out and put another one in sometimes. Yeah, that's I, I feel like that's normal because, I mean, you've probably grown so much in five years, right? Yeah. And so right. if and I'm sure that your therapist has, too, if you've been with them for five years, they must be great. But at the same time, it's like if you're evolving and they're evolving, sometimes you evolve. The relationship has to evolve as well. Right. And yes. so if that doesn't evolve, but it still stays the same as it has been for years, then, yeah, maybe it's it's time to shake things up and, and throw another cog into the wheel, whatever yeah, that means. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm trying yeah. to sound smart, too. Now. No, no, it's just me. <laughs> 
one of us has a degree and could not solder. Yeah, <laughs> soldering. Yeah, that um, one. You know, are you in therapy now? Or are you? Are not you right now. I I had a therapist, and then kind of same thing where it felt like we had reached the peak of what we could learn from each other and and yeah. what I learned and and so I took a step back so currently I don't have a therapist but I would love one I you know it's not something I'm opposed to at all and I think everybody should be in therapy to be honest how important is physical exercise to your, to your mental health I feel that we're in a weird space it's either fat shaming or people being like oh you know be body positive and then it's like people argue with science and like you know, America's fatter than it's ever been. Like, why are we applauding these things? So it's almost like uh, like fat people's turned into like climate change. But there's just been too many studies that physical exercise is beneficial to your mental health, right? It's a fine line. And it's it's kind of like a strange dance to play to present content and ideas that seem to have some science-backed evidence and also experiential evidence, right? but they go against the grain of what a lot of people feel because it feels like a personal attack, right? And so there's that strange dance of like speaking what you believe to be true while staying with like the flow of society and, and making sure that everybody feels safe and comfortable. For sure. To go back to your original question, physical movement and exercise plays a gigantic part into my mental health. I just went on a trip recently, and this isn't any sound evidence or anything like that, but I, I went on a trip for a couple of weeks recently and, and I got out of my regular movement routine, but I committed to still doing something each day, but it wasn't nearly like the exertion levels that I usually do on a daily basis. And I had so much more anxiety. I was feeling so much more anxiety when I stepped away from my normal routine. And the only difference that I, I felt physically, because I could physically feel the anxiety more than usual. And and I, as soon as I got back and started exercising or I exerted more or like walked more on a certain day, then I would feel my anxiety levels going down. And again, mm -hmm. that's not like sound evidence. That's not hard facts. It's based well, on feeling. You, Right, right. And so I found that the periods of my life where I'm not exercising as much, I'm not doing as much physically, I feel like the stress hormones hit me in a different way. And they impact my brain and my ability to think clearly and handle emotions as well. So you're engaged, right? I am. Yeah, just got engaged in, uh, in October. Look at you go. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank Congratulations. you. I'm engaged as well. I'm getting married in two months. Oh, wow. Congrats. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you. Wedding. Have you started the official planning yet? She has. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to be more involved. She's doing a great job. You want a tip? You want yeah, a tip? please. Please Just say yes. Yeah, that's a great tip. Yeah. That's hey, hey tip. I found this thing. Just look at it. Yes. Just look at it. Oh, this flower thing. Zoom call. Just be on it. <laughs> just, just say yes. Just, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Have you guys picked a date yet? We did. We we may push it a bit. All right. All right. That, that's yeah. fine. That's fine. That's yeah. fine. That works. But we have a preliminary date a year from April. Look, there you go. There you go. Is your fiance as active as you? Physically? Yes. Not as active as me, but okay. she's she's active for sure. Would you say that's a pet peeve of yours? That you would you have to date someone that's that's physically active? <laughs> 
it would be really hard for me to be with someone that doesn't make health and movement a priority. Oh, now we're getting to the nitty gritty. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, because you want to know it's weird because the reason I asked is because in some weird way, and I don't honestly think it's that weird. We kind of want to date a a similar version of ourselves sometimes because they say like opposites attract, but how long do opposites stay together? It's very difficult. Yeah, totally. There's benefits because it opens your mind up to new experiences, right? And and new ways of thinking. There's benefits. But at the same time, if you really value, you know, watching sports, and I'm just throwing this out, and they really value watching reality TV, then there's probably going to be some disconnect there and it's going to cause some friction right Mm -hmm. and and the same thing like i mean to take it a a different level if somebody values fitness and the other person values doing cocaine every weekend instead and not working out then there's probably going to be a divide but you have to choose whether you stay true to your values or you change them to adapt to this this other lifestyle and to this person and i think that's where the friction comes in is is like if your values don't align you guys can be different. You can have different ways of thinking, and that's great. But if the values don't somewhat align, then I think there's definitely always going to be some friction. And and we both value uh, being fit and, and moving our bodies for sure. That works. How you doing uh, in the toxic masculinity uh, area these days? I have, to, <laughs> I have to watch myself from time to time. You know what I mean? I feel like there's there's two sides of me, right? And I think there's two sides of everybody, but there's a very emotional sensitive boy right where where like i kind of fall back again i'm the youngest where do you fall in the the line of siblings i'm the youngest as well okay i just realized recently like a lot of my life i feel like i spent feeling as though somebody was going to take care of me or somebody was going to provide for me in a sense because i was taken care of and and not to say that there wasn't like some beatings or whatever taken from siblings beatings i say playfully not 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 abusive but oh yeah i wish i wish i could say that i've been yeah Yeah, that's i mean yeah there's there's times when when you get when you get roughed up quite a bit but it's hot sometimes yeah but generally speaking i mean i feel like at least my experience being the youngest i was cared for a lot i was loved a lot my parents showed me a lot of attention and 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 so i just realized recently like this version of myself that feels like it, you're going to be taken care of, like somebody's going to be there to rescue you in a sense, right? And as I've noticed that, I've leaned further into the version of myself that's like, no, I'm going to do it for myself. I'm a man. I'm masculine. Like this masculine version of myself. Right. And not not to say like, like there's masculine and feminine energies, males and females and anything in between can have masculine and feminine energy not saying anything in that regard but but to step into that powerful version of myself i feel like that's something i'm leaning more and more and more into since i've realized this version of myself that felt a little more cared for and and pampered so that's kind of where i am now i'm like i'm pushing more towards the that masculine energy of of power and and trying to like yeah. take things right it feels good to be a throwback man sometimes yeah right you know right. it feels good to feel like humphrey bogart you know you just walk into a room and like smoking a hand rolled cigarette 
And you yeah, just, you know what I mean? You just fucking throw it and you're like, you know, it's like, you know, if you got to like punch somebody, you ha- it's just that it's just like it's not that you're going to act on it. It's not that you right. do it. But to have that part of your identity, I think, is beneficial as men. There's a stigma with us that we can't express our feelings. Right. So people right. automatically would say that's the feminine side of a man. Right. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I said, that's kind of a masculine side of a man to be like, yeah. uh, we have to kind of redefine what masculinity means. Totally. Like, there's nothing wrong with a man wanting to like provide for his wife. Right. You know what I mean? And like right. wanting to like be sexually active with his wife. Right. Or have kind of that situation where it's like, oh, it's nice. I came home and my wife cooked for me. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Now, if you come home and start throwing shit around the house because there's not food around, then there's a problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I think is a little bit frowned upon, but I actually think it's kind of beneficial to tap into that side of yourself because we are every day we're dealing with our fight or flight every day. Yeah. And I don't want to flight all the time. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm tired of flighting. Every, every, everyone, you know, like how you said, like everyone's taking care of you. Yeah. I kind of want to plant my feet in the ground and be like, no, nah, man, I'm going to be a man today. Right, right. And face yeah. whatever it is I got to face. You know what I mean? And I hope that we could get back to a, um, like you said, everything's a spec, like it, it's a spectrum, right? We have feminine qualities. We have masculine qualities. Right. But if I'm getting my mass on, let me get my mass on. Right. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm not hurting anybody, because I feel like the best version of myself is when I find that perfect balance. But like you said, there's different versions of ourselves. There's a time to be caring, especially when it comes to our partners. Right. We don't have to be fucking macho masculine all the time. But I'll tell you this. They're going to want some part of you to be macho, at least some part. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. You know, that's part of why they're somewhat attracted to us. You know what I mean? Right. There's a certain aspect of it. Yeah, there's a there's a polarity to it, you know, where where there's opposite energies. It's like a magnet, right? Where one pulls, one one pushes. I don't know how they work, but if you flip them, then they're opposed. And if you flip them back, they attract. And there's that polarity of call it whatever you want to call it, masculine, feminine energies, whatever it may be, or just however you want to present it, but there's a polarity that draws attractiveness, right? And and oftentimes if you're a straight man or a straight woman, you want a very, if I'm a straight man, sometimes I want a very feminine woman. If I, if, you know, my fiance is a straight woman, she wants a masculine man. Sometimes a man that's, you know, going to be more that action hero style and, and being willing to step up and, and plant your feet in the ground. Right. But again, it's a spectrum and, and that's my perspective. That's my experience. It's, you know, people are, are different, but I believe that. And I think too, like, I think there's a misconception of masculinity, like you were saying, and, and, and what that means. I don't think Hollywood and and movies and and TV shows have done it any justice in a way because like they paint it as a almost like a one dimensional like badass man who's just gonna destroy it, everything that's in his path right but yeah. I think it is like you were saying I think it is masculine to show your emotions and 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 manly in a sense to show your emotions and and being willing to like be vulnerable in that way I think vulnerability is a big part of of being a man and and yeah. and going through that experience. I cry in 
literally every movie I watch. Like yeah, I have takes, a tattoo that says cries in movies, right? Yeah, because it's truth. It's yeah, it's true. And and it's like I think for me, crying and, and showing my emotions and, and being sensitive is part of being a man because I'm I'm willing to to do that and not hide it. I think putting on a shell and running from it and putting up an exterior is another way of kind of fleeing from oh, yeah. what you want to face or what you need to face at times. For sure. And when, and when I was a kid though, too, like if I was about to fight a kid and he was crying already, I was like, this kid's going to kick my ass. <laughs> I was like, this kid's got, this kid's expressing himself already. Like, yeah. Right. Like I'm done. This guy's nothing gonna- to lose. You want kids or no? I do. Yeah. How many? Yeah. I want two. I want twins right off the bat. Give me either two the same, one of each. That's fine. I just want two. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's hang out and make movies too. Cause, yeah, right. I just need a little film crew. Yeah. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with the only child. You know what I mean? Well, I cover cover the bases. Only children are cool too. But it's just like, you know, I got to at least if I got two good ones in me, let's get those, (laughs) let's get those out of the way. And and, yeah, right. Is your fiance, does she have siblings? Yeah, she has two sisters. So I have two brothers, two sisters. She has two sisters. All like we have both have big families. So, you know, we have babysitters that are just ready to go. Nice. Yeah, yeah. man. I just want to be one of those dads that like walks around with, with a papoose and just a baby in there. I want to yeah. do a whole show with like, I'm just going to do a set, a stand up set where my baby's in a papoose with like those like uh, those arena headphones. So like, nice. I'm just gonna travel the country with a baby and a papoose and do stand up comedy. Like, what's the worst <laughs> thing about that? That sounds great. The life. That's, that's you that's figured it out. You cracked the code. Are you gonna like push your kids to be like super exercisey? What if your kids just like the best fucking piano player ever? Oh, I would love that. But just hates kickball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exercising. Yeah, it's hard to say. You know, it's well, it's easy to say what you'll do and what you'll be like. Of course, we're all full of shit. Yeah, yeah, right. I would love to say that I'll support them in whatever they do and and be offer guidance and in, in that way. But I think it's smart to move your body as a human being. You know, if they want to sit at the piano for twelve hours a day, I would love that they're that invested in the piano. But also, like, you're going to ruin your body by sitting at a bench all day and you're right. going to get imbalances. You got to get up. You got to balance it out. You got to move around. Go for a 20 minute walk. Go for a 10 minute walk outside. I would love it if you did that. Right. That's that, it, I think right. that's all it is. That's as simple as it is. Like, I love moving my body and being ex- and being physical and exercising. But like most people, a 10 minute walk outside is all you need. Right. And that's that's enough. That's a good starting point for anybody listening that is trying to get into their fitness journey. A 10 minute, 15 minute walk, a little brisk walk is a great starting point. You know what I mean? I used to be 270 yeah. pounds, dude. I'm too. Oh, I'm wow. Two, I'm 227 now. Wow. How'd you cut down? I used to have this big problem called second dinner, which was uh, we'd have leftovers and I would eat the leftovers at 11 p.m. So that's like mm. kind of what the big thing was for me. I had to switch to more of a Mediterranean style diet. Mm. So I have heart disease in my family and I was diagnosed with diabetes type two. So I gave myself diabetes. So they were like, Hey man, we got to like figure this out, dude. You're just like only getting fatter and like doing this stuff. Cause I grew up athletic, played three sports, right? was in shape, lived that life, hurt my back, never went back mm. and just became just fat. 
just became just that's just I just got fatter and fatter, dude. Like it was crazy. And then I got up to like, yeah, it was like 268 pounds was the highest I ever. Wow. Yeah. So when you're five, nine and 268, that's bad. That's that's not a good look. So, yeah. So I've been able to kind of just lose this weight. But my thing is just not eating late at night. Watch what you're eating. It's not like I have to eat like some crazy, like certain type of diet. I'm in it for the long run. I'm not trying to do any crash diets and just increase my aerobic exercise, you know, just getting my heart beating to that burn point. Right. I tell people all the time, invest in a heart rate monitor. It's really the only thing that you really need if you're going to start exercising. Yeah. One, it's going to tell you if you're going to die. And then two, it's going to tell you when to slow down. So right. now you have somebody, it's it's basically a personal trainer, a heart, a heart rate monitor. Yeah. And then my fiance was a big part of it too, because like, she's like, has the metabolism of like an eight year old girl. So like she eats whatever she wants to eat, but she's mm. also like a specimen. Mm. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, I got to kind of look the part here a little bit. Right, right, right. And uh, she cooks. She helps me figure out what I'm supposed to be eating and stuff like that. So I have a good support yeah. system. Everybody needs a good support system. It's, it's yeah. kind of a big deal. So but, those uh, are, that's the area. I, and going back a bit, that's your values align in that sense. And it's good sure. that she is, I mean, in a sense, ahead of you in that in this phase of your life for oh, that. Yeah. Because then it's like you guys have the same values and you have someone that can kind of add to that push in the back and and the motivation to actually do it. So that's a good example of when your values align, like that's a really good fit. For sure. And then, you know, just how it is in every relationship, the power struggle is the big thing. Right. I like this done a certain way, right? And you Mm -hmm. feel that in your heart, right? Like how you you have some OCD tendencies, right? Where like you want stuff to be clean. That's going to shine through regardless of who you're with. Right. I like things a certain way. And you not doing them feels disrespectful to me. Yes. That's that's the conversation. That's what it is. You doing this is disrespectful to me. And we're not taking into account that this is a completely different person that has a completely different thought process. Right. Wired a certain way. And there's a reason why people do things. We have to be selfish in relationships sometimes, but it doesn't mean we get to be assholes. Right. You know, like I could be a dick sometimes, like, you know, for lack of a better word, I could be a dick sometimes in relationships in terms of like not having my fiance feel as respected as she should. Like she shouldn't come home and I have like takeout still like like out around the couch. Like, why is it still there? Mm. You know what I mean? Or uh, she comes home and the bread is not filled. Right. Little shit, but it adds up. And that's where the moment of being like, you're disrespectful to me because you're not being conscious. So that's the thing I try to instill in myself now is just to be more conscious of uh, my partner's feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the power struggle is. We have a power struggle and um, it's a fight worth fighting, but it's a rough one. It could be tough. It could be tough. Yeah, absolutely. Something valuable I heard is, is most conflict comes when people's rules don't align. And Mm. so an example of that is it came from this book. I forget which book it was, but this guy was writing his book and and his daughter kept coming up and she was like, daddy, why is your desk all muddled? And he's like, muddled? What are you talking about? Like, my desk is fine. And and she's like, no, it's muddled. That's here. That's there. He's like, okay, I'll fix it. And she would go away, come back. 
same thing. She would be like, Daddy, why is your desk all muddled? And he's like, my desk isn't muddled. What are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, that's there. That's there. And it happened multiple times. And, and he was like, I started to understand that in order for my desk not to be muddled, only one thing had to be off for her. But for me, muddled meant everything had to be messy. So for uh-huh. her, her rule for being muddled was one thing was misaligned. His rule for being muddled was an entirely messy desk. So the rules for being muddled didn't align. And so that's where the conflict came. Ah, And it could be like a definition thing, but oftentimes it's like the rules that it takes for you to feel a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that actually, no, wait, no. Yeah. I wanted to just pick your brain on this before I let you go. My fiance asked me, she said, would you feel less of a man if I made more money than you? And I said, at first, yes, but we're a team. So if you're making more money than me, that means we're doing okay. So one of us is making more money. That's that's our lives are going to get easier. But my male ego would be hit somewhat. Right. And, you know, just touching back on like roles and like what we kind of went through. I don't know why that's like a thing. Mm-hmm. It really shouldn't. Like, oh man, I have to make more money than my why. It's a weird right. control thing that we have. And it kind of makes sense because of how the world was. Because mm-hmm. you go back 50 years ago, you either went to the military or you got a job right out of high school and got married and had a kid when you were like 20. Right. You know, and so like it was like, hey, like, you know, and I go to work and women they stay home and they cook and they clean, and that's what it is. I just feel like a part of me would feel if more people looked at their relationships as teams, we'd be in a lot better position. Yeah. In terms of how we just look at relationships in general. Instead of like really like role assigning, like you're the woman, I'm the man. Let's be a squad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Let's let's get unisex in here. And let, yeah. you know what I mean? And let's just pull this money together. And if you're doing good, I'm doing good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Would you feel a certain way though at first? At first, yeah. And I think that's worth exploring for anybody that does, right? Because again, I think it is, it's kind of like going back again to the masculine man portrayed in movies. It's it's this this input that we've had for so long that says this should be the way it is. And then also there's something inside of you. I mean, it could be like, if you really explore it deeply, it could be an authority thing. Like you said, you had a a problem with authority before. It could be that you don't want anyone to have control over you, right? It's It could be a number of things. And I'm saying you because you gave that example, but I'm speaking for myself as well. Light my ass up. No, (laughs) no. And I know like, with anxiety, oftentimes it's a fear of uncertainty. It's not being willing to live in the uncertainty. And so you want to have control over things. It could be stemming from things like that as well. Just the idea of being uncertain in yourself and not having control over a situation when somebody has more power than you in a situation, right? Yes. And I think the way you're thinking about it. So if you feel that way, I think it's definitely worth exploring. And and I've felt that way myself. I think it's worth exploring, but I think what you're talking about is really healthy is in turning it into a team. And I think it's identical to comparing yourself to people online and being bitter when you see other people win versus you know, yes. you not winning if they have something you want, but you don't have it. At the end of the day, 
we're all on a team in some way, right? Oh, for sure. And, yeah. and just because somebody else wins, it doesn't mean you can't win either. And I think we have that mindset, like, like you have a great podcast, but I want to start a podcast. So I want your podcast to be bad. So mine could be better. Like, it doesn't make sense. You can no. have a great podcast. I could have a great podcast. Like winning isn't mutually exclusive. We can all do it. We can all build each other up. And one of the best quotes is, is a rising tide lifts all ships. So if we all work together, if we all, you know, husband and wife work together to build this income, support each other, we're just going to make more money. The more we support each other, the more we encourage each other, the more we help each other out. But if we try to stop somebody, if we try to stunt their growth, it's going to hurt us and it's going to hurt them. And what's the point of that, right? Secure the bag. Yeah. Why not? That's it. Listen, man, that was a great quote. That was a great quote, man. (laughs) Yo, catch ass. You're kicking ass, dude. Catch (laughs) ass. As somebody who deals with anxiety and anxiety triggers, how do you kind of avoid triggers? Because like, you know, you hear certain things about stuff and like, they'll be like, well, like run towards it. Like run right. towards your panic, like fight it. You know what I right. mean? And I'm just like, right. all right, like it's a little intense, but like, you know, sometimes I'm like, I get it. Like I try not to run away, like from my symptoms now, like if I have those, mm-hmm. but what's like a good way to avoid triggers? Is it exposure therapy? Like, I know it's different for everybody. And that question is like kind of vague, but like just in your kind of, just in your case, like how do you handle anxiety triggers? I would say I used to avoid them as much as I could. and. The problem with that, though, is the more you avoid them, the smaller your world is going to get, right? And then once your world becomes so small, because if I if I have a panic attack at the theater, and then I have a panic attack at Starbucks, and then I have a panic attack at I don't know why I said Starbucks. I I never go to Starbucks, and so you you start having you know anxiety or panic attacks in all these places, and then you start to avoid them then pretty soon you're not going to go to the theater. You're not going to go to the coffee shop. You're not going to see that friend. You're not going to hop on a podcast, whatever it is. And so your world continues to get smaller and it feels more unsafe because it feels like there's more threats around you everywhere you are. And you're essentially training your body to say like, I had a panic attack at the theater. Now I'm avoiding it. So that confirms that there is a real threat at that place, right? Instead of saying, wait, I had a panic attack there, but it's something deeper. It's something deeper rooted. It came from something else. The theater is not the problem. So there's no point in avoiding the theater. Not to say you won't have feelings, you won't have emotions and, and fears going into that, but it doesn't make your world smaller. It expands your mind and allows you to deal with those triggers more effectively. For me, it's less about avoiding triggers, more about exploring why they've come up. I've started to kind of view anxiety overall as kind of a call to action in a sense, because every time I've felt anxiety and experienced a lot of it, it's been when there's deeper rooted problems that I haven't addressed, traumas and, and, and whatnot. So now it's it's kind of this idea of if I'm feeling anxiety now, there's something within me that I need to explore and I need to grow in. So anxiety has turned into, instead of like, I kind of just came up with this the other day, a call to avoid instead of that. And now it's a call to action, right? Uh-huh. And and it's a call to explore yourself, explore what's going on and address your traumas and, and what's causing those and those triggers. And that's causing like a nice trajectory too, to like kind of find like, 
you know, I feel that everybody's kind of trying to find their purpose. Like a big saying now is like, find your why, you know, right. The smaller your existence gets, you know, if you're, you know, not exposing yourself to certain things, it's going to be harder and harder for you to find that purpose of why you want to get better. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, for people listening, I'll mansplain it. Some games, you're not going to play that great. All right. It doesn't mean you should never play again. Right. Yeah. Just because you had a bad game, it's like almost being like, don't get the yips, you know, for all the golfers out there. Right. If you had if you shot a bad front nine, don't get the yips on the back nine. (laughs) Act the back nine. All right. That's just what it is. You got to you got to go out there and attack the back nine. All right. Don't worry about the front nine so much. Couldn't have said it better. There yeah. it is. Superman played. All the lady listeners will understand it. <laughs> Back on that point, though. So there's a really good book about handling anxiety and panic attacks and, and kind of running towards the feeling instead of running away. It's called Dare by Barry McDonough. Hugh Donna. I, I don't know really how to pronounce his last name, but it's called Dare. What a terrific book. That helped me in, in severe times of need. And, awesome. uh, and I've applied that principle in that process of dare so many times throughout my life. And I think if anyone's struggling to, to sit with, to feel those anxious feelings and to continue on in life, I think that's a really, really good book for how to practically do it in everyday life. It's uh, I couldn't agree uh, more. I'm doing the 75 hard challenge right now. I don't know if you know what that is or not. Yeah. I was just considering doing it. Yeah, I'm doing it right now. So this morning I walked outside for 45 minutes because one of them has to be outside. Then I'll yeah. walk tonight for 45 minutes. So uh, I actually picked this back up to do my, my 10 minutes of reading. Amazing. Because we're not allowed to do audiobooks. Oh, I was wondering that. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't do audiobooks. So you I have, have dare on audiobooks. Yeah. So. I was like, damn, dude. I was like, shit, this motherfucker's gonna make me read. Like I, I'm on the third day of it and you feel it. Yeah. You feel yeah. it. Yeah, you feel it. It's a it. challenge, huh? It's already it's, a mental it's legit. challenge. Yeah. It's three days in, but I'm hoping it's one of those things where it's like uh, you know, by day 10, I'm good. That's what I've heard. It's like fasting. If you fast for like five days, day two is the worst. Day five, you're okay. Yeah. So I'm just hoping that I'm going uphill right now. I hope I just yeah. so, and then we go downhill like in the last like 20 days. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, you got it. It was intense because, you know, I mean, I'm just not like physically where I used to be. Right. But you don't really realize how short a 45 minute walk is. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And then you do it. I'm like, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. On paper, you know? it sounds severe uh, oh, like two 45 minute workouts. yeah yeah you know what i mean it's it's there's people that go in the gym and sit in there for six hours a day i take my dogs i take my dogs out 45 minutes that's great just walk around and then i i got the thing in here and and you know just try and get them out of the way but i would recommend it the hardest thing was uh probably picking a diet to get through it because i had to up my carbs a little bit hmm. yeah to get through a couple like two workouts a day it's kind of like uh right you know, but I'm doing it for the wedding. That's why I'm doing it. But uh, yeah, that makes sense. No audiobooks. I highly recommend it, though. Uh, if you ask me tomorrow, I probably won't. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I'm glad just, I caught you on day three. Though. Yes, day three. Uh, you know, it's uh, we're we're getting after it here. But Jesse, thank you so much, man. For everyone that's listening, where can they find you on the internet? Obviously, feel free to plug whatever you got going on. 
my Instagram, my TikTok, and YouTube. It's all Jesse Catches. I'm sure it will be spelled out in the in the podcast episode. That's everything I have right now. I'm just plugging away at the content. And so that's where they can find me for now. Sounds good, guys. Thank you to everybody who listened today. Make sure to hit that like button, that subscribe button. Okay. We'll be back here next week with another amazing episode off the cuff. Jesse, thanks again for coming through. And we are out of here. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!